Thanks for listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos and the PCC Multiverse. Check out more great podcasts today on one of these awesome affiliate networks. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. The Tangibound Network. Check it out. Tangiboundnetwork.com. Listen to this show, the latest episode, every time. A proud member of the Good and Geek Network. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other geeky podcasts over at gunnageeknetwork.com and get ready because geekiness begins in 3, 2, 1. On this week's episode, the failure of the X-Men, the emotional remembrance of Chernobyl, and E3 2019 is finally here. All this and more as we once again delve into the pop culture cosmos. Welcome to the pop culture cosmos. And we're back with another episode of the pop culture cosmos. My name is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate everyone out there listening to all of our great programs. But it wouldn't be a pop culture cosmos without my good friend. He's our own mutant of Humanica Media. You got to check out everything that's going on today at HumanicaMedia.com, Humanica Media on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and so much more. It is my good friend. It is Josh Peterson. All set for a big week, my friend. Yeah, man, it's an exciting week. E3 is here, the best time of the year for nerds like myself, and a lot of good things already going on with Microsoft and Bethesda. Tomorrow we'll see some stuff from Ubisoft and Nintendo and Square, so that should be should be good, man. A lot, a lot of things going on, and I uh, can't wait to see what's what's coming around the bend here. And we'll keep you updated on both our Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source Facebook pages plus much of our other social media as well. I know there's a lot of things you're pointing towards, Sue. In fact, we're going to be talking extensively about the press conferences and the information that has already been presented so far when it comes to E3 2019. We're going to go over that here in just a few moments. Plus, I've got some comments about Chernobyl on HBO is something you definitely should go out of your way to see. It is the best show that I have seen on HBO this year, and I'll tell you why on the back end of the program. A lot of E3 stuff going on, but first we got to mention the disappointing times right now at the box office. X-Men, which was once a premier movie franchise, everybody would be gearing up to go see it. Obviously with Logan and also X-Men Days of Future Past, you had two very, very strong outings by both of those movies. But now times have fallen really hard on the X-Men as Dark Phoenix unfortunately debuted very weakly, well below expectations, and in fact, the worst opening ever for an X-Men movie in the movie franchise at $33 million here in the States. It's just truly a disappointing number here domestically. Unfortunately, just did not go out of its way to endear itself to a lot of people out there. I got to ask you, my friend, when it comes to what's going on with the X-Men, Even in a disappointing weekend with The Secret Life of Pets 2 also being disappointing, earning less than half of the original movie's first weekend take, what's going on with the X-Men Dark Phoenix as far as it being a bigger disappointment 
And basically the franchise putting it on hiatus with Disney and Marvel now having control of the property and it ending on such a horrible note. Would you say that X-Men Dark Phoenix will not be rising from the ashes of Apocalypse? No, not this time. There's no Oscar Isaac to save it now. There's no Patrick Stewart. There's no Sir Ian McKellen. There's nobody there to save it now. This movie franchise, as of right now, is done, dead, just a truly an awful performance this weekend at the box office. And again, there was another movie that performed below expectations and didn't even garner half of what the original did in The Secret Life of Pets 2. And even with that movie being so disappointing in and of itself, the X-Men Dark Phoenix just performed even well below that stature as well. Yeah, okay, so I got two thoughts on this, with Dark Phoenix especially. Like I said before, fans have a bad taste in their mouth, right, after Brett Ratner's go at it. And two, I honestly feel like we all know this franchise is ending, right? We know that Disney's going to, or Marvel's going to clean slate with the X-Men. So why are people going to go and get attached to these characters, especially since Dark Phoenix has such a bad reputation in the movies, right? So the story of, of Jean Grey and the Phoenix, it's so expansive and it covers so many, like, the official comic book arc covers more than three issues. There's so much mythology to go over there and there's, they're not going to be able to do it. So why invest yourself in it? It's just, it seems like a very pointless movie to go see, especially since, you know, the first class, well, first class was really good. The following entries in that timeline have not been that great. And it's such a shame too, because outside of the domestic box office didn't perform too badly it kicked in about a hundred million dollars worldwide at the box office outside of the domestic returns and if you would have had a similarly strong domestic marketplace you would have had something that's been okay been pretty decent but with that being said it just brings down that number even lower for x-men dark phoenix so it's it's truly disappointing for now because there is, at least outside of the United States, still kind of like a little bit of a hunger for the X-Men. But unfortunately, that hunger is not going to be satisfied anytime soon because it looks like from all what we can see that Disney and Marvel want to put this thing to bed for at least a little while. And I think it's a good move if they do. I don't think that the X-Men are really or truly that marketable at this point in time. I think at some point down the road, you can refresh the X-Men and you can go ahead and make them a viable entity once again. The same thing that Marvel hopefully will do for the Fantastic. And both you and I know that at some point, they're going to go ahead and refresh all these characters, whether it's the Fantastic Four or whether it's the X-Men, and go ahead and do things right from this point forward, or at least for the most part, do these things right with most of the characters. And look at Marvel has always been good, you know, decent at least at sticking to the the source yeah i don't want to say they're untouchable i don't want to say they're yeah yeah, they're perfect in any way shape or form but not perfect by any means i mean iron man 3 took a long time to grow on me because of just the style that it was in it was not well received by people ant-man 2 which i did enjoy but fox i think we've discussed this before brian singer when he first took on the role of director of x-men he had never read an x-men comic book in his life you know, we see that more and more, like look at the people who made the most recent Hellboy, like they had never read the Hellboy comic books, you know, they just saw it as the pop culture icon that it was. And because of that, we will never get a good Hellboy movie. And because of Fox, you know, monopolizing that franchise, it took them a long time to get into the uh, the rhythm of things. But it, we had 
a, a couple good ones, but it, I think they knew that their time with the X-Men was coming to an end. And I just I don't think that there's a lot of heart put into it. Your thoughts on X-Men The Last Stand, which is the last movie in this dark Phoenix type saga? I don't like it. I, I don't like watching it. I, OK, so I got I got a few thoughts on this. James Marsden character Cyclops, right? I, I didn't like how they made him such a whiny little B word in that movie. And he's he's not that, though, in the comic books, he's he's the leader of the team. You know, he's a very tragic character, even in the comic books during the the Dark Phoenix saga. Like he's a very tragic character. And it seemed like they really just wanted to get him out of the way because they wanted Wolverine to be the lead in that movie. And so I don't think they gave him the the character development or really the story arc that he deserved. And then there was the fact that it felt it really did feel like there were certain aspects of it that felt like the 90s animated X-Men series. And that kind of bothered me a little bit because X-Men 2 was a very, very dark movie. And then this one felt very campy. Did you get any of those vibes while watching it? The vibes I got from it was this is not going to be a very good movie when I watched that movie originally. And I just wanted to say this because the writer of that movie, X-Men The Last Stand, happens to be the director of x-men dark phoenix so as a lot of people are saying out there and there's a lot of critics and a lot of people and social media that have found this out the correlation between the two why would fox get the individual that helped write one of the worst movies in the x-men saga to go ahead and be the director of this final version of the x-men franchise for that company it's like when a boat is sinking and they decide to plug the hole with like hammers and nails instead of boards. That's that's kind of what they're doing here. And I would not trust the franchise of somebody like that, especially since, you know, that there's probably something there where like, I want to tell the story right this time. And it's it's very biased as to what the story should be. But I, I don't it I, I wouldn't trust them. Like if somebody made a bad you know, Marvel. Actually, this is a very bad example because Rian Johnson is still making Star Wars movies. But if a movie does bad and it left a bad taste in people's mouths, you shouldn't have anybody attached to that movie making a movie of similar stuff because you're just asking for history to repeat itself. And actually, that's what I was going to say as well. It's just why would you get somebody to go ahead and work on the same type of idea that they worked on before and have failed miserably before? Especially when you're you're putting in what almost a hundred million, two hundred million dollars into the project, and you got to also consider as well what I told you here on a previous episode that they had to reshoot the ending because they found out the ending of Captain Marvel and that the original ending of X Men Dark Phoenix was very similar to that ending, and unfortunately that caused even more chaos. So when it comes to movies that have all these production issues. During the course of time, it very rarely, and I mean very rarely, works out for the benefit of the movie or even the benefit of the audience when you have so many behind-the-scenes issues like or massive reshoots that need to be done. So it's just really disappointing that X-Men is going to go out on this note for at least the time being, and it was very disappointing to hear that. I'm very sad in a way because I really wanted to like the X-Men saga over the course of time, but it never really took hold of me the way I wanted it to because for every good movie, I would have to wade through one or two or more movies in the X-Men series before I'd really get hooked on one. And as soon as I would get hooked on one, it would just come right off as far as another movie in the mix that wouldn't be anywhere near as good. So it's just disappointing to see where the X-Men saga has gone over the course of 19 years. 
And if there's anybody out there that's going to be able to go ahead and correct this situation, it is Marvel. It is Disney. And at some point in time, hopefully that they will go ahead and integrate the X-Men into the Marvel Cinematic Universe in a better fashion. I know they're not always perfect when it comes to character development, but even movies such as the Thor movies, you have a much fonder opinion of the Thor movies than I do, but you got to admit the Thor movies are not very well thought of, at least the first two in the pantheon of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And even if that's the case, Thor himself as a character was still very much appreciated, especially when he moved on into the Avengers films and then later down the line got into a series of Thor films where he was represented himself a lot better in that type of superhero structure. But even in the Avengers movies, he was still very much an appreciated character. So even if Marvel doesn't get it right off the bat, they're still able to go ahead and take the opportunity to tweak it until they get it fully right as far as the character. And hopefully down the line, they'll do the same thing for most of the X-Men out there, save, of course, Wolverine and Deadpool, which were the few success stories so far in the X-Men universe. Marvel is able to make characters, make them good in a story and still be able to market them. And then Fox just doesn't do it. You know, they bulldoze things. Uh, and Warner Brothers and DC have the same issue, right? They have their studio heads intervening because every scene needs to sell a toy and yada, yada, stuff like that. So I don't, I don't know, man. Like, I, I wish that the X-Men series were better. The Wolverine, Logan, Deadpool, Deadpool to take or leave it. But those were very, very good movies to me. I mean, I, 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 it's not ones that I would watch over and over and over again. Of all the X-Men movies, those are the ones that I could truly stand back and say, you know, that was a pretty good flick. And then I look at the other ones like X-Men, X-Men 2, and then Last Stand, and, you know, the origin films and stuff like that. I could do without them. Like, maybe I don't regret watching them, but they're not ever things that I would recommend people go out and watch, if that makes sense. And then on top of that, you had the disappointing returns of the number one movie at the box office. And thank you, by the way, to Tom Dwyer, the big daddy of the Big Daddy Road Show. I won the bet. I won the gentleman's dollar. I did say The Secret Life of Pets 2 would win the day at the box office here domestically. But even that started out less than half of its predecessor. And that, to me, is a disappointing number for Illumination, a movie studio obviously working with Universal, that had turned out some previous big hits, including The Secret Life of Pets, and then obviously the Despicable Me and Minion series. So I ask you, my friend, could this be the start of something really not very good for Illumination? Could people be getting tired of what they're representing as far as what their products out there? Could this be a sign if they bring out another Despicable Me or another minions that there really is going to be some signs that people are getting tired of what illumination has to offer because they they're making a mario movie right so that's supposed to be out in 2020 or 2021 i can't remember but i don't think it's an issue with them as a studio i think it's the the writers need to stop because obviously minions uh, despicable me was extremely successful for them so i think they need to stop writing the coattails of that movie and and feel free to be more creative but then again it's a double-edged sword right because you go into something made by illumination and you're expecting the minion type humor you're expecting the uh, banana and you know the fart jokes and stuff like that and it, it's just that oh that cripples you that typecasts you you know it's like being an actor and starting out in a superhero movie it's really hard to break that mold so 
they just need to find themselves, you know, be creative, not be afraid to take chances because you want to you want to sell tickets. Obviously, I don't I didn't even know Secret Life of Pets did well enough to merit a sequel. But at the same time, I don't think that it's hopeless for them because I'm I'm expecting Mario to do pretty well unless we end up with a Sonic the Hedgehog issue. But again, they're kids movies. And I feel like we tend to be very hard on kids movies and kids movies are really, really hard to bring people to the movie theaters to see a kids movie because most parents would rather wait until because, you know, you have three kids, you take them to the movies and you end up paying you know, that's a $60 trip right there. So most parents, at least the ones that I know, rather would rather wait until those movies come out on Blu-ray and then they can pop it on the living room while they go, you know, work on other things. So the children's movie market in general is just, it, it's a tough one. But what are your thoughts on it? Well, Secret Life of Pets actually earned close to $900 million the first time around worldwide. So there is some big expectations, and unfortunately, it's not going to come anywhere near that or be anywhere near the type of success. So to me, that would be concerning if I was at Universal, especially with Minions 2 coming out next year, I believe, before the work of Illumination on the Mario movie. So that would concern me, especially if The Secret Life of Pets 2 is going to have these kind of disappointing returns, because as I was looking through the numbers for some of the most recent movies in the Illumination folder, you have Despicable Me 2 and Despicable Me 3 and Minions all grossing near or over $1 billion apiece. I mean, combined, those movies have garnered over $3 billion. And with that kind of expectation and clout, you start to get a sense that, okay, everything they put out there is going to be successful. So this is the first time they've had some type of adversity here in a little while so i'm very interested to see what takes place and as next year we're probably going to be talking minions too we're going to say hey their last outing in the secret life of pets 2 didn't quite generate the type of enthusiasm they were hoping for and if that's the case that could be a big sign that not only people are tired of the secret life of pets or kids are anyways also, as well, that could be a big sign that, hey, the Despicable Me universe in and of itself could also be something that maybe they want to lean away from before people really get tired of that as well. But next year will be the key. If Minions 2 does not strike on a good note with audiences, that could be really a sign that Illumination Entertainment might need to move into a different direction with all of its original IPs. But things are not going to be looking too good for both those films as probably a secret life of pets three will not ever come to fruition. And as far as X-Men dark Phoenix goes at this point in time, it looks like with the poor outing of X-Men dark Phoenix here domestically, that Disney and Marvel will put it to rest for at least a little while. What are your thoughts out there on the box office news this weekend with secret life of pets two and X-Men dark Phoenix, both disappointing at the box office. Did you like any one of those movies this weekend? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, popculturecosmos, Humanica Media, and Game Source on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Well, coming up next, we're going to be talking E3 because Josh has got a whole lot to say before he heads to downtown Los Angeles this week, along with Tony and Jamie and Chad. Those guys are going to be covering E3. But first, he's going to share his thoughts on E3 so far to this point with all the latest news from Xbox, Electronic Arts, and so much more. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. Listen up, all you gamers out there. 
Miracle Fruit Oil is ramping up the deals on its awesome Vitabrace gaming wristband. Vitabrace is clinically proven to help improve your gaming performance. Vitabrace will help you achieve your gaming goals, whether it's that single player campaign, retro classic, or battle royale. Head on over today to MiracleFruitOil.com and if you use the code VITABRACE50, you'll get half off on a Vitabrace gaming wristband or use the code buy one get one and it's buy one get one free. That's right, just use the code VITABRACE50 or buy and the number one get and the number one today to get some great deals on some Vitabrace gaming wristbands. So check it out today at MiracleFruitOil.com. Vitabrace, win with it. And we're back with the Pop Culture Cosmos. It's Gerald coming right back at you here. So E3 is well underway with the press conferences already come out for many of the different representatives that are there. Sorry, still no Sony or PlayStation that's shown up, but still there actually even is a little sprinkle of news from the world of PlayStation that we'll talk about. But first, I want to ask you, my friend, we talked a little bit about it before last week, but Google did hit first. They wanted to get ahead of the game, so they announced their $130 Founders Edition, which comes with three months of their streaming service, also the controller and the Chromecast Ultra. Do you think at this point in time they'll be a viable contender with their streaming service? They did announce 20-plus games that are coming to the service right away. A lot of big names, including Baldur's Gate 3, which was just announced, plus also many popular titles from a third-party standpoint that are already available. So do you think Google Stadia is a little bit more appealing to you, and do you think it'll be a little bit more appealing to audiences out there as well? Okay, I've actually been thinking about this a lot today. I honestly, I, I don't think that game streaming, I don't think that we have the technologies there yet. You know, you look at it, you have to have a good internet connection to be able to play stuff like this, like a PlayStation Now, Xbox, even Xbox, well, Xbox Games Pass downloads onto the console. You just have to have an internet connection so they know you're you're a member. But, you know, you look at PlayStation Now and it's pure garbage. I look at the Google Stadium. Yeah, that's awesome. I love streaming. But even watching the E3 conferences on my computer and they're streaming it live, I'm looking at it. I'm running off of 5G and granted, my my network's not that great. But think about someone who lives out in the Midwest, right, where the Internet's not that great. I just I don't think that the tech is there. But speaking to Google Stadia, I love the idea of $130. It's cool that they got launch titles, but I'm just curious how many people are interested in this you know like is it something that that you'd want to purchase because i like having a console you know and that's just me but can you play it on a tv like how does how does this all work they haven't really shown us much about what the infrastructure of it is and i would like to know more about that let me ask you a question josh does it play a blu-ray no it doesn't it's like there's not all the apps that you can do on xbox and playstation it doesn't have all that stuff it is strictly for video games you're it's basically just using a controller on your phone or whatever whatever it is you're using to play i don't feel like it's any real threat to the big gaming companies but then again it could be so i don't don't know man it just it doesn't have all the stuff on it it doesn't do stuff that a console does and that bothers me electronic cards came up next their presentation was all right. They had the usual bevy of highlights for the upcoming Madden and FIFA, Battlefield 5. They talked about DLC, Apex Legends Season 2. There's a new need for speed on the way and a new Plants versus Zombies on the way. That's great and all that. But 
there was nothing made as far as Mass Effect. The only thing we got from Bioware was an apology, so to speak, as far as Anthem is concerned. And that, to me, to put it out there on a public forum, I don't know if that was really good or that was not really a wise move as far as PR is concerned, because that's just telling me you already know that the gamers know that this game was a mistake in happening. And last but not least, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, they finally showed a lot of detailed gameplay from it. But I want to ask you, Josh, in this single-player narrative-driven game, it kind of looks like to me that instead of Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, it looks like Star Wars Jedi Uncharted. It does. And, you know, we discussed this before the show. I feel like these are the, the gaming assets from Amy Hinning's canceled Star Wars game. And it's funny you say that because as soon as I saw him running on the walls or even shooting that grappling hook, because that's a mechanic that isn't Uncharted, right? When he tosses the rope. Uncharted for it. Right. And I guarantee you that there's going to be parts in there where you have to swing to multiple hooks, you know, like Spider-Man. And that's totally an Uncharted thing. But again, uh, it's hard to be mad because this game looks so cool and I can't wait to play it. It comes out, what, November 15th, I think? Right around that point in time, yeah, just before the Black Friday. Actually, it comes a little bit before that. Pokemon Sword and Shield comes about yeah. a week later, I think, and then Black Friday after that. So it is going to be something I think a lot of people are interested in. I mean, it is a single-player narrative, which to me is kind of funny the way that EA has done a total 180 in what we're talking about, two or three years' time as far as that's concerned? Yeah, I mean, because the first Battlefront was not what people were expecting it to be. And, now and then the major decision to, to shut down as far as what yeah. Amy Hennig was doing. They're trying to market off of their mistakes, and maybe that's what they're doing with Anthem. I didn't watch the whole thing. But um, yeah, it, it's it's funny. And what's cool about this is this is the first Star Wars game that is officially canon. Did you, did you re- even realize that? Like, yes. this actually it has Saul Guerrero in it. I'm imagining this takes place slightly before Rogue One. But yeah, this is the first Star Wars game that is officially canon in the Star Wars universe because everything else was kind of like side stories or something used for Luke LucasArts to make money and stuff like that. So I'm kind of excited, man. Like, it's got a lot of cinematics in it. I just hope that the campaign is long because that's something that, you know, they gave us a, like a three hour campaign in Battlefront 2, but it still was not a great campaign. And so I'm hoping that this is something that is worth the time and money of people who are missing those classic Star Wars games like Jedi Academy or Shadows of the Empire or even, you know, The Force Unleashed. To see the total 180 that Electronic Arts has done from so recent of times where they had definitively said that they are no longer going to make single player narratives and that they wanted to just go ahead and make microtransaction heavy multiplayer experiences. And to go from that back into a single player narrative driven game is just astonishing to me to see that they would do that. And you know what? I'm not going to complain too much about it. I want to see it more in detail. It looks okay. It looks pretty good. Again, it still has very, very similar markings to the Uncharted series, which both Josh and I have a great fondness for. So I'm very interested to see where this leads as far as the Star Wars canon and also the Star Wars universe is concerned as we get closer and closer to the release date of early November for Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. Under that, like I said before, Electronic Arts, they just basically announced a lot of add-ons and then, of course, the sports titles that they bring out every single year with some new tweaks here and there. That's fine. A new Need for Speed that comes out, that's fine. A new Plants vs. Zombies, that's fine. But outside of that, 
the most noteworthy thing was the apology by Anthem. It, to me, that's a problem when you go ahead and that's all you've got is a new Star Wars game and an apology by Anthem. Did you find that Electronic Arts press conference to be good overall, or do you think it ended leaving you wanting more? I wouldn't even call it a press conference, really. Like The Anthem thing was weird apologize but then say hey by the way we got this mass effect remastered trilogy coming out or like even give us a like a tease of people exploring faraway galaxies you know something related to mass effect or dragon age right they got a new dragon age coming out they didn't even talk about it. instead they just came out and said sorry didn't even reference any new dlc nothing like that for anthem so why bother you know in bethesda's conference todd howard comes out and he says hey and he is actually making jokes about what a nightmare Fallout 76 was at launch. And he goes, by the way, uh, you know, Fallout 76 is free. Anthem, though, Bioware didn't do anything like that. So you're still like they didn't give you anything. They're not there's no consolations. All you get is an apology. And what are you going to do with an apology? Nothing. Well, you know, what I'm going to do I'm going to go find another game. And keep on complaining why they don't announce a new Mass Effect or a Mass Effect trilogy remake. I know they're working on a Dragon Age and hopefully another Mass Effect as well at this point in time, but they could have done so much outside of apologizing and, and admitting to the world what we already knew, that Anthem is disappointing. And that to me was just something I wouldn't have done as far as a PR standpoint is concerned. Because like you said, they didn't give you anything out of it. They didn't give you any incentive to go back into the Anthem universe or actually start it, period, because of the fact, like you said, if... If I'm going to tell you, I have this game here, I'd really love you to play. But by the way, there's a lot of issues with it and to start off on a bad note. But I'm not going to incentivize you in any way, shape or form. I'm not really going to go out of my way to go ahead and play it. So that truly to me was disappointing that Electronic Arts would go ahead and actually put it out there instead of offering some really great stuff for Anthem to get people back into it and motivate it into their product once again. So I don't know. For me, it was a miss on Electronic Arts. But still... Even with Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, there still is some hope that they can do things right, but we'll have to wait and see what comes to fruition in early November when Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order gets released. You're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. Don't touch that dial. Wait, do, do people still use dials? Rob McCallum Films is back with a vengeance. Power of Grayskull, the definitive history of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, which chronicles the ultimate 80s billion-dollar franchise, Masters of the Universe. See exclusive interviews and hear untold stories from the people responsible for creating the world of Eternia, a place full of magic and science, and learn about the craft of creating action figures and animation. Power of Grayskull is just one of our many projects at Rob McCallum Films. That brings us to the one that you wanted to talk about the most, my friend, and that is the Microsoft Xbox conference. Microsoft Xbox announced a lot of things like they usually do. Some of it hit, some of it misses. I was reading the conversations that you had going back and forth with the Monroys in regards to the Xbox conference. So I want to hear what you have to say when it comes to all the items that you got picked out for the Microsoft Xbox conference. Yeah, so I'll start the uh, obviously what's kind of the biggest thing here is the Project uh, Xbox Scarlet or whatever. I don't need that's probably not Project Scarlet. Project Scarlet. It's probably not the the name of the console, but I mean, they did. He did talk about how that's being worked on right now, and it's supposed to drop holiday twenty twenty. 
it was a montage of people talking about how we want faster loading times, we want bigger worlds, we don't want four the times game, the power of the Xbox One, power, a lot of gigabytes and teranauts or whatever you want to cut, whatever computer nerd language they're speaking. A great public relations ploy for AMD. Yeah, yep. And everyone's talking about 8K, but when honestly, we're not going to be getting full 8K probably for another 10, you know, five. To Can 10 you buy years, me an 8K but... TV now, man? Hey, yeah, but I mean, there's not a lot of things that are going to output. And here's here's another thing that bothered me, right? They're talking, we can take things up to 120 frames per second. Remember PlayStation said that same thing back when the PS3 came out? You know, they're like, we can now show you games 60 frames per second, but nobody developed games that were capable of doing that. So they, they went on the whole lot of processing power, didn't go into any detail like detail about what the, the system looks like, what the price points might be. It's going to launch holiday 2020 and Halo Infinite will be a launch title. And I understand that you were upset. There was just a simple cutscene. Oh, I'm finishing the fight. You know, like like we've seen before. That's fine for me because the fact it is coming out holiday 2020. So they're gonna show a lot more come E3 this time next year on it. Here's my thoughts on this, Kay. Like you, you saw me discussing this with Tony in the uh, the thread that we have. I was saying that you know it's fine that they're it's not going to launch till 2020. It's going to be a launch title. That's what I was going to say. But I still feel like, especially after the bad taste that was left in people's mouths after Halo Five, if five years is a long time without an entry in the in the franchise, so do a remaster or a, a mobile game like put in something as like some kind of stopgap measure, you know. And uh, tell us what Halo Infinite is. Is it going to be a rebirth like God of War? Is there going to be a progression system? Is there an open world that we can explore? Can we customize our weapons? What is Halo Infinite? Is it just another straight up linear shooter like Halo 5 and everything that came before it? I want to know more. And, you know, why is Master Chief floating out in space? At the end of Halo 5, he was hanging out with the Arbiter and all the elites. What is going on? Don't just give us a, a cutscene like that. Show us some gameplay at least. You know, it makes, I, I love that franchise so much, but I just, I don't have much faith in it anymore. And if Halo Infinite is not good, then I feel like I have the same sentiments that a lot of fans have. But, you know, where do you stand on when it's an appropriate time to show gameplay? I think in the same year that the game is released. To me, I want to see gameplay the same year comes out. So I'm not as ardent about that as you are in regards to it because like you said it's going to be well similar to what happened with the original xbox it's going to be the launch title for the next xbox whatever project scarlet is ultimately going to be called in holiday 2020 when it finally releases so i'm not as concerned that there was no gameplay shown because i know in 2020 and especially at E3 2020, that a lot of gameplay is going to be shown. People are going to be able to try it at some point in time during the summer of 2020. And then, of course, there's going to be an actual full release in holiday 2020, just in time for the new Xbox, whatever it's called, to come out. So to me, I'm not actually that disappointed in it that there was no gameplay release because it wasn't within the same year of time. Gears 5 is where I really have an issue because I didn't see enough gameplay. And in fact, they're telling you their whole schedule for how different components of the game are going to be shown off at different points of time at different venues. But the one thing that they were going to show today was Escape. And instead, they showed a cutscene of Escape, but didn't actually show the gameplay itself. Well, they hinted as to what Escape was going to be, right? It's a, an objective-based 
multiplayer game where you and four friends or whoever it is try to escape from different rooms but it's not as easy as just running out a door right you got to do certain things open a door trigger a uh, a gas attack or whatever it is okay yeah they they didn't show it during the thing they showed the cutscene, but it is available out there by various entities that are playing it already at e3 yeah, yeah and you know they had xavier woods and the, those two other guys playing it but they didn't show more of what the game is right like we still don't know you know, where was JD in the in the the trailer we saw last year? What was Marcus doing? It they just showed that all the main characters had suddenly turned on Kate, and now she's going off into the world doing her girl power thing. Like, and that's that's cool. That's fine. I, I'm I'm extremely interested in her relation to the uh, the queen and all that stuff. But what about the other characters? Like, why spend years of four developing these other characters if you're just gonna cast them aside? and just focus on one character in particular. So I want to know more about the campaign. What's going on in the story? Where are we at? Why is everybody playing nice all of a sudden? Why in the uh, the escape mode? Why are they showing like the robots with the, are they infected? Like, how does this all work? What is going on in the Gears world that is pushing the boat that is Gears 5 forward? What's happening? What is this game? You know, they still did not give us enough detail. All they said is Gears 5 will be out in, uh, what was it? September 10th. And you can play early with a special edition or Game Pass Ultimate. And it has a Terminator Dark Fate crossover, which I don't you, Did you hear the uh, in the press conference when they pop that up on the screen? There's like three people clapping. Exactly. The a, groans could be heard. Yeah, not a good. It's just not a good franchise to be associated with. I, I just didn't get a chance, like you said, to see more of the story and what's going to develop there. Because now is the perfect opportunity instead of just showing the escape mode showing more about what the story was all about instead of just like you said we saw one brief trailer beforehand and not actually real development of what's going on in the story and how important it could be i mean a lot of people want to go ahead and see what the campaign is all about and dive into that first and foremost because what the gameplay was as far as the campaign is concerned is what hooked many people on the gears of the war franchise in the first place Right. And they like if if you notice with the Xbox conference, a big thing was four player local co-op. Right. And Gears three did that. Judgment had it. What did the co-op mechanics look like? Can we play with four players or is the story because it's so focused on two people? Do we only get two player co-op? What is this game, man? Show me more. A lot of people don't play Gears for multiplayer. Like I, I spent a couple of months in Gears two multiplayer back in the day. And I, it's it's not impressive by any means. Hordes is fun, but. I don't think people go to Gears of War to play multiplayer. I th I'm pretty sure it's a the campaign that they're after. Are you more into the campaign or the multiplayer? Where What is your gear style? At this point in time, I'm more into what the campaign is all about. To me, it's the story. I mean, at the first part of it, I was both. Even though the Gears of War campaign really didn't have a very strong narrative, I mean, there were some issues, especially with Gears 2 and Gears 3, as far as the narrative is concerned. There were some lapses into it, and there were some plot holes, but I still went through it. But fortunately for me, Gears of War, especially the original, I would play nonstop for many months in regards to it, especially with the crew that I had back at the old game stores where I used to run. We would close the store at night, head on home, and we'd all go into a Gears Deathmatch all night long. So to me, that was what I was really interested in. For, to me, that was part of, of the whole Gears experience. You're right. When they created the Horde mode, that changed everything for the video game industry, and everybody did it. But I tuned out on that right away, and I just focused on the campaign. So at this point in time, 
when it comes to Gears of War, I'm more interested in what the game storyline and the narrative is all about. And I really didn't get much of that when it concerns what happened and what was announced at E3. And that to me is a problem because the game is coming out in a rather short period of time. Right now, I'm going to buy it just because it's a Gears game, you know, and I got continuity obsession. But if I were a casual fan, then it's probably not something I would be too interested in hopping on. Well, what are some of the other things on your list when it comes to the Xbox conference that stood out for you or didn't stand out for you as far as it's concerned? Some of the good and some of the bad, or what are some of the things on your list that you really want to talk about when it comes to the Xbox conference? Okay, so I, I'll, I'm just going to go over my highlights here, okay? I got Double Fine joining Xbox Studios. That's cool. Um, you know, they haven't really made a lot of huge games. Psychonauts 2 is still coming out. Uh, I still want to know a lot about the Xbox streaming, right? Their their cloud service. How does it work? Because they said you can use your Xbox as a server. And you can play on your phone or tablet or whatever you're playing on. But how does it really work, though? Like, do you have to have the, the app? How much data does it require? What does any of this mean? You know, like, what can we play? Can we only play? Can we play games if we have a disc running in our Xbox? Can we turn it on and play through that or do we have to have games pass accesses how is this all going to work so that's a big question that i have um, one thing i want to ask you when it comes to the game pass because yes. they also announced a pc game pass and then also as well a pc xbox game pass overall in the ultimate game pass is there going to be too much confusion in the marketplace that will confuse consumers and gamers alike well, it depends because are these games cross-platform, right? Because Age of Empires 2 Definitive Edition, but they weren't clear on is it coming out for consoles or is it just PC because they advertised it in the midst of all these Xbox One announcements. So is it on consoles or is it just for PC? And then you have the Games Pass Ultimate, which means you can have access to PC and Xbox and do your saves carry over? Do you have to save it into the cloud? How does it all work? You know, and they have the Master Chief collections being released on the, the PC Games Pass, but it's also on Steam. It seems like they're the, doing PC. That's awesome that they're doing that. But is there going to be anything different about the PC version than there is on the Xbox? Like, are there going to be PC games exclusive to the the PC Microsoft ga Games Pass do our achievements carry over? Is because uh, remember with um you know when they're doing the the Microsoft thing originally with Halo Two like your achievements carried over onto your Xbox profile. They didn't talk about how a lot of this will work, so I think that we're just going to find it when it gets released and kind of just be like, okay, well that's how that works. To get into the all the Game Pass options that are out there. I think that's going to be too much for the marketplace to handle, and I think they should have made it clearer and more concise. Um, okay, other highlights we have Fantasy Star 2, if you're into that free-to-play uh, Spring 2020 on Xbox One. Uh, Tales of Arise, uh, the Xbox versions have been notoriously bad, so will this one be better? Okay, Elden Ring, uh, the George R. R. Martin Hidetaka Miyazaki crossover, the guy that did Dark Souls. Looks like it's got a Lord of the Rings-esque type story, but what is the game? You know, is it a third person? It's it's They did one of those only cinematic type things and they didn't talk about a release date didn't talk about gameplay it was just a a video if you can even call it a video because a lot of it had stills in it so right now i don't really trust things that george r, r. martin does because they never come out and when they do they're not that great so okay next we got battletoads and eh. dragon ball z kakarot remember this is the the dragon ball z rpg that was unannounced I'm kind of excited about this. Looks good. Uh, will there be a progression system or will it just be another fighting game with an exploration mode? We don't know because Mortal Kombat had the Bloody Palace mode on there, which it feels like this is kind of reminiscent of that. 
Uh, going down the list here, Microsoft Flight Simulator looks beautiful. It's the first flight simulator game on consoles. So, yo, are you? How are you feeling about this? It's promising, and I could really get into it, but we'll have to wait and see how it progresses overall as a game, and if it's something that a lot of people are going to get behind. And if that's the case, I'll probably get behind it too. Yeah, I mean the the tech demo they showed at at their conference looked really cool. Outer Worlds, like not a lot given about that. Like they again, we already knew that it's kind of a a play your own style type game. Release date of October twenty fifth. But okay, this one really interests me. Bleeding Edge. Do you get a chance to check out that trailer? I don't care. I don't care. I love Ninja Theory, and I was expecting something more from them, but this reminds me too much of Battleborn, and we all saw how badly Battleborn tanked. So as the box office numbers guy, how do you think this game is going to do? If it doesn't have that type of good buzz going into it, it's not going to do well, because as you and I both know, when it comes to the video game world, if gamers do not have a good buzz into it before the game gets released, that game is going to be sent to die rather quickly. I think Xbox has learned that, or hopefully had learned that, from Crackdown 3 that just came out to a horrible reception, and that died a horrible death really quickly. Bleeding Edge is something that I'm seeing right now is not getting a whole lot of love out there, but you know what? It's early, so there could be more good news on the way for it if that's the case, so I don't want to hold out a yes, it's going to be something that's great or no, it's going to be something that bad until we see more coming out for Bleeding Edge. How do you feel when you get so used to a a studio making a certain style game and then they go off and try to make something that's completely outside of their box? Do you trust it immediately or or are you weary about it? I've been gaming so long that I don't trust any developer to do anything. Even if the most trusted developer that I have at this point is Naughty Dog and they went off and they went off into a different direction after The Last of Us 2, I'm still going to be very trip, you know, I'm still going to be very nervous about if I want to go ahead and invest my time in it until I see an extensive amount of footage first if it's something that will appeal to me. But no, I'm not going to go on blind faith anymore when it comes to when it comes to gaming. I mean, there's been so much disappointment over the course of my lifetime from respected uh, respected individual developers and publishers out there that I've trusted for years that have let me down time and time again. Now, still, there are, I mean, the case in point with BioWare. BioWare succeeded with us for so many years and finally let us down. Every development studio or publisher has that point in time where they're going to go ahead and not put out something that fans are going to love. And it just, you know, and it's how they deal with it and how they move on is, is going to be if they can go ahead and regain the fans trust. But I have no more blind faith in any developer or publisher at this point in time, including Naughty Dog or including some of the others that I've loved for so many years, because I've seen it before and most recently with Bioware that you can't fully put 100% stock into everything a developer puts out there. Okay, next we got Ori and the Will of the Wisp, February 11, 2020 release date. What I love about a lot of these games is that they're releasing simultaneously alongside Games Pass. So I do want to talk to you about this next one, though. Minecraft Dungeons. Did you get a chance to catch that trailer? 
Yes, it was kind of like a top-down type deal right. that had some influences from Gauntlet. I think it was probably yes, the best thing yes, I could say. That's, yes. what I, that's what I was thinking when I was watching that. But for me, I have to play that with co-op with a lot of other people to have it truly be a fun experience for me. I don't want to do that alone. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's what Gauntlet was so fun, right? Gauntlet Legacy on the original Xbox. You had your friends come over, you played it. It's not well, one of those. No, the actual games. original arcade Gauntlet. Oh, that's where it was oh. fun. You line up your quarters, all four of you get together. <laughs> there you go. This is cool to me because like these dungeon crawlers, like these are the, the gaming experience that I had as a kid. And obviously you had as a kid at the arcades. This is something that we have a, a generation of gamers who can't really invest themselves in, or it's not cool to be into magic and sorcery type games. You know, that's what that's what nerds do. And it's cool that this is opening up the door for them because this is a Minecraft game, which kids obviously still love uh, 10 years of Minecraft. Right. But the game itself does look very cool. Borderlands 3, they released, they talked, uh, they put out a new DLC, Commander Lilith and the Fight for Sanctuary. It's free. That's where actually borderlands 2 let's borderlands correct two, yeah it's supposed to bridge the gap between two and three and you can play today it's it's free right now you can download it's supposed to have five new areas a few new bosses it's supposed to be a pretty chunky dlc and i'm curious if that was originally like part of three and they chopped it off to get uh you know make it free dlc to give on two okay last two here i got blair witch uh, looks interesting my question to you is this uh it releases on august 30th can a game like this succeed using the name of a mediocre movie franchise because the game itself looks cool had this come out in the year 2000 off the success of the original blair witch project i would have said this game would have been a massive hit coming out 20 years later after the movie came out I have no hope for it, and I don't understand why it's even being associated or tagged with Blair Witch in the first place, especially, like you said, after the Blair Witch Project 2 was one of the most disappointing sequels of the past 20 years, and the fact that monetarily and critical-wise, it kept audiences away, and it did a horrible job of trying to go ahead and protect or even enhance that Blair Witch legacy which was pretty much dead on arrival by the time the Blair Witch Project 2 came out. So that is pretty much a dormant franchise for me. So to me, it's like, eh, I don't care. It's Blair Witch. To me, it's 20 years too late. And there was one major game also as well that was shown off at the Xbox conference starring a current star from a current movie that a lot of people enjoyed that came out of nowhere. So tell me, man, your thoughts on Cyberpunk 2077. It looks good. It looks very gruesome. Just looking at the trailer today, like it looks very, very bloody. And I know The Witcher was like that too, but like this looks, this looks like the dystopian future, like the way that it could actually be, you know, something like Altered Carbon. All the, the places that Deus Ex didn't want to go, it looks like Cyberpunk is going to do this. Keanu Reeves is a character. They had him come out on stage and it's funny you could tell that he's not used to like speaking to a whole theater full of people and i love when he goes this game is breathtaking and then someone in the audience goes you're breathtaking it was cute <laughs> you know i can't think of an, a better word for it and that's great for cd project red to get that kind of hype going because it did come out of left field as a surprise and let's not forget about bethesda because they also had some stuff to announce this weekend at e3 2019 Doom Eternal, they showed more gameplay from that and announced that it's coming just before Black Friday on November 22 of this year. So I want to hear your thoughts, man. 
were you impressed by anything the Bethesda conference put out there? Or do you think they're in a waiting mode for next year as well? Oh, they're definitely in a waiting mode. You know, Elder Scrolls Online elsewhere. I have no interest in the mobile games they were talking about. Blades looks okay. It's coming to Nintendo Switch. I did want to ask you with Blades, even on Switch, is there enough content in this game to make casual gamers invest, in your opinion? Download it all you want, my friend, and Elder Scrolls bugs away. And if it's not the case, something that a lot of people will enjoy, if it's free to play, by all means, go ahead and download all those beloved Bethesda bugs onto your Nintendo Switch. I will do it. Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, but, I mean, the game is such a small scope, though. You know, it's like you have your one town that you build up things and relationships and stuff like that. It, it, from what I understand, the world is not exactly that big. And I get it's a mobile game, but I, I feel like there would need to be more content for me to truly invest in something like this, even on Nintendo Switch and even at a free price. Doom Eternal looks fantastic. We got a November 22nd release date. It feels more story oriented and the game takes you to heaven and hell. So what what do you think of this uh, this possibility that there's more mythology being added to the Doom franchises after, you know, years and years of guitar playing and bloody explosions? Can't hurt to have more Doom. You know what? If they just go ahead and keep it simple. Like we've always talked about with a lot of other franchises and entertainment options, they just keep it simple because that's what Doom is all about. If they just keep it simple, they're doing themselves just fine because the last Doom that came out was really a solid hit for them, really very good critical response, and if they keep it along those same lines, they'll have a nice hit that comes out just before the Black Friday shopping season. So that was something I'm really interested in seeing if it actually will be a big, big hit for Bethesda. I'm hoping will be that will erase the bad taste in my mouth that Fallout 76 provided for us. All jokes aside. Yeah, yeah, I hope so too. Wolfenstein looks great, and I love the fact that they said they're not done with the Blaskowitz story, right? So this is kind of a jump forward in time, and they're still going to go back and hit BJ's story later on. You know? Oh yeah, know. absolutely, and it sets itself up for that, even with the daughters. So. You see the daughters are going to go ahead and sometime be a force with the father going ahead and complete that story arc because Wolfenstein 2, for me, I just finished it and it was a great experience from beginning to end. And I look forward to everything that Bethesda is going to be putting out when it comes to the Wolfenstein franchise. Other than that, like the, I'm kind of weary of new franchises from Bethesda. Ghostwire looks cool. Is it a knockoff of Control? We didn't really get to see much of what the gameplay is. We we were expecting another Evil Within, right? But this looks cool. I mean, you saw the cinematic rendering, right? It's all in 4K, and it looks real. Like, the, the colors, the shading's all there. Like, it looks really cool. I'm not holding my chances too high on any game coming out like that unless I see it first in extensive detail in regards to some really good gameplay footage so really some great narrative experiences that I can go ahead and make my way through when I go ahead, hopefully at some point in time and play Deathloop or like you said, Ghostwire Tokyo or anything coming out by Bethesda. So E3 next year is going to be great. For now, it just seemed like status quo. And to me, status quo is not good enough. Some of the things that I want to talk to you about before we head to the break. I want to talk to you about the Final Fantasy VII Remake. Didn't you find that surprising that the March release date for the Final Fantasy VII Remake came out at, at a concert? Yeah, they did that last year with Shadow of the Tomb Raider. You know, they they released the trailer, what, a week before E3? 
So it's just weird, especially since their press conference is tomorrow, that they cut a, a minute 30 trailer for Final Fantasy VII, the remake, and they gave you the release date of March 3rd, 2020. You know, it's just it's weird that they would announce it at a symphony instead of their press conference tomorrow, because especially since last year, their press conference was so lackluster. But like I said, overall, it was a okay weekend for E3 2019. Not the greatest. And I think a lot of these companies, again, are preparing for whatever the Project Scarlet becomes and also whatever the PlayStation 5 ultimately becomes. What are your thoughts on the conferences that took place this weekend at E3? Pop Culture Cosmos at Yahoo.com. Also as well, Pop Culture Cosmos, Humanica Media, and Game Source on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. And stay tuned to our social media on Facebook. In fact, Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source will be feeding you information on the conferences and what's going on. Plus, check out our coverage of E3 all week long. And including, we're going to have some more podcasts, hopefully, that we can get together and talk more about what's going on at E3 this week. And of course, a wrap up later on this week on the PCC Multiverse. Coming up next, my thoughts on Chernobyl and why this is the must-see television event of the year. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. If you're tired of sifting through flea markets for rare and unique games, we can help. Retro City Games in Henderson, Nevada, only five minutes from the Las Vegas Strip, has all your favorite gaming staples, classics, and a wide selection of rare games with new stuff always appearing on our shelves. Come in and chat with Nicole or Doug about your love of games and watch as they help you complete your collection or find your childhood favorite. And don't forget, Retro City Games loves trade-ins. So if you have any Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega, Xbox, PlayStation, or even PC games, come in and visit Retro City Games today. Welcome to the new metropolis of gaming, Retro City Games. My friend, before we head on out, I gotta tell you, man, I know you've been wanting to see it. You've got to make an effort to go see the series on Chernobyl. The series as a whole, five episodes long, doesn't take that much of your time. It's not something that's 10, 11, 12 episodes long. This is something that's five episodes long. It is worth watching. For me, as I told you before, you really have to get over the fact that these are British actors, for the most part, that are actually speaking in their own accents, and it's not Russian but it is portraying the actual events of Chernobyl as best as they can go ahead and portray it. It is very riveting, and it doesn't pull many punches when it comes to what happened at Chernobyl, the cover-up by the government, the intrigue behind the scenes, and the devastation of what it did to an entire country and Eastern Europe as well. So it was really something that was very, very riveting for five episodes, and you really you have to go out of your way to see it because it's very, very compelling television. It showed pretty much the, what the devastation was like for something so, so traumatic and so tragic to an entire community, an entire country for that matter, and the cover-ups behind it by the country to try and put it out of the limelight as far as possible and not try to get the word actually out to a world audience. So Chernobyl is compelling television. It is right now one of the best viewing you can see from HBO in 2019. And that includes Deadwood and that includes Game of Thrones. So right now, if you've not seen it, you need to see it. It is Chernobyl. And right now it is available if you have the HBO streaming service, the HBO Now and all that. It is something you need to go out of your way for. And that is Chernobyl. It's been some great conversation that we had on today's show 
I just want to go ahead and tell you, thank you, man, for stopping on by. And I know you got a big week coming up for E3 this week. You want to give us an insight on where you're going to be at as far as some of the presentations that you and Chad and Tony and Jamie are going to be at at E3 2019? So we're scheduled to go play Borderlands 3, which I'm pretty excited about. Now we're going to talk to a couple of PC game devs. I want to see what the atmosphere is here this year, especially with Sony leaving and a lot of allegedly big announcements being safe for GamesCon. I'm just I'm curious, like, is E3 going to become the next Comic-Con? What's going to be? How crowded is it going to be this year? You know, I'm not expecting huge things from it. It is fun. And I can't wait to go. But yeah, I mean, my, my favorite thing to do there is just kind of check out all the new games coming out. There's nothing specific that I'm looking for. I would love to get in and play the Final Fantasy VII remake. But who knows, man? You know, I'm, I'm probably just going to go one day this year. And who knows where that might lead. It will probably be fun. And I uh, can't wait to bring some news back. Well, just tell those Monroys to go ahead and bring me an E3 t-shirt, man. That's all I need. Then this week, I'm going to go ahead and put up a Father's Day gift guide that's going to be available. So look for it this week on our website, popculturecosmos.com and popculturecosmos.wordpress.com as well. So for Josh Peterson, this is Gerald Glassford. It's another beautiful day in paradise right here in the Pop Culture Cosmos. We thank you for listening. And here's hoping you have yourself a great Did you know the ESO Network has a brand new Patreon? That's right. We're asking for your help, and you could do it for as little as a dollar a month. Don't fret. All your favorite shows will still be available for free, as always. But you can get exclusive podcasts and more not heard anywhere else but on our Patreon. To sign for the ESO Network, Patreon's easy. All you have to do is go to ESOPodcast.com and click on the link. With your support of the ESO Network, it's you who will reap the rewards. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Tangent Bound Network. Let your voice be heard. TangentBoundNetwork.com Thanks so much for downloading the Pop Culture Cosmos and stay tuned as more great podcasts are on the way. Thanks again for listening to us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos.